In my conversation with fellow ministers throughout the country, which I usually have several each week, and by listening to some of the messages on Grace Alone Radio and other sources, and also articles that I read from church papers, I notice it's on the mind of ministers in general during this particular time uh, to try to bring forth messages of encouragement to the Lord's people. I think we all need encouragement all the time. It seems like especially at this present time due to the circumstances which we're all facing as individuals and families and as a country and as our church. A little over a year ago, I preached a message here on the sword of the Lord in Gideon. I guess Elder Mike Goins found it and put it on Grace Alone Radio this past week. It received a, a great deal of response and it's being played again today. I preached that message before the coronavirus was even known about. It was preached sometime last year, but seemingly the message that I preached was very applicable and up to date for the day in which we are living and the things in which we're facing. Now that tells me that whatever we're facing in life and uh, you know whatever it may be, whoever it may be, whatever it might be, how we are to face it, how we are to handle it remains the same. We don't have to change from one to the other. It's a matter of depending upon the Lord, trusting in the Lord, having faith in the Lord, putting on the whole armor of God, praying to the Lord, drawing nigh to the Lord. All these things are constants. They'll be done no matter what's going on in life. It doesn't matter. If you're on the mountaintop, you're in the valley, whether you're going through prosperous times or going through times of great adversity, it just doesn't matter. At all, that remains the same. We don't have to be changing around. Now, this morning, a thought that came very deeply impressed upon my mind earlier this morning is found in Psalm 62, verses 11 and 12. And here we find David says, For the Lord has spoken once, yea, the Lord has spoken twice, that power belongeth unto the Lord. And also that which belongeth to the Lord is his mercy. Two things belong to the Lord here, David says. One is power and one is mercy. I want to focus on the word power for a little while this morning. He says, God has spoken once, yea, God has spoken twice. Now, anything that's recorded in the Scriptures one time should be sufficient. If it's in there, it's important. But sometimes there are things that's recorded twice or maybe more. And when that happens, we're to pay especially close attention to it. You know, we're told in Proverbs twice, there's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It's recorded twice for us. We find Psalms 14, Psalms 53, almost identical. Why would you have two Psalms in there? Well, you read Psalms 14, which said there, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It says, the Lord looked down from heaven, saw there was none good, no, not one. They're altogether become unprofitable, etc. So maybe the time you get to Psalms 53, you forgot that. So when Psalms 53 comes along, you get to read it again. I guess the Lord's people have a tendency of forgetting things. And in this particular time, it's easy to become so distracted that we lose sight of some very important and very valuable things that the Bible teaches us. Now here it says, The Lord has spoken once, yea, the Lord has spoken twice, that power belongeth unto him, or power belongeth unto the Lord. Whatever degree of power any man has ever had, He's only had it because he's been allowed to have it by God himself. 
Remember with uh, Pilate and the Lord? And Pilate said to the Lord, Don't you know I have power to crucify you? I have power to release you? What was the Lord's response? The Lord said, You have no power at all, except it be given thee from heaven above. The only reason you're in this position is because God's allowed you to be in it. And you're telling me you have power to crucify me and you have power to release me. He needed to learn that lesson, didn't he? The Lord Jesus Christ was approached by a group of people called Sadducees, recorded in Matthew chapter 22. Sadducees had a question on the resurrection. And the Sadducees, it was well known, did not believe in the resurrection. But they had a question on the subject of the resurrection. And they presented the Lord with a woman who had seven different husbands in life. You just thought Hollywood started recently, right? She had seven husbands in life. Each one, though, had died. At least they had died. <laughs> Each one had died, and she married another according to the law. And so they wanted to know in the resurrection whose husband was she going to have. And the Lord said, you do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Two things they did not know that caused them to err. One was the scriptures. The scriptures are God's word. The scriptures represent God's word to us to help us along life's pathway. They know what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. It teaches us the way that we should walk and conduct our lives here in this world. And if we're familiar with the scripture and we have uh, been taught and we study it, and we come regularly to the house of God to hear it preached, it'll help us stay away from a lot of things that can cause us great sorrow and afflictions here in this world. So it's very beneficial. He says you do err because you don't know the scriptures. They had access to the scriptures. They had opportunity to know the scriptures. But had they known the scriptures, had they understood the scriptures, they never would have asked that question. The Lord takes them back to Exodus chapter 3 when God appeared unto Moses in a burning bush and told him that he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. That expression just simply means there's life after death and that God is the God of the resurrection. If they'd been familiar with that, then they'd have known better than to ask that question that they asked the Lord. And when the Lord answered them this way, the Bible says they went away and never asked him another question. At least they'd done one good thing, one wise thing in their life. They didn't ask him another question after that. That was the question that ended all the questions. So power belongeth unto me. Now, you know what the word corona means? The word corona means crown. And it's pretty much ruling and reigning right now, isn't it? It's kind of interesting. How did, how did they come up with that word for this virus? I, I mean, I really don't know. I don't think it's accidental. Here's a word that they come up with to describe this virus. It's called corona, and corona means crown. You think of crown, you think of king. When you think of king, you think of reign. And it's pretty much ruling and reigning right now in the lives of people on this earth. But don't forget... Psalm 62 and 11. The Lord has spoken once, yea, he has spoken twice, that power belongeth unto me. Now, all through history, God has displayed his power, so the Lord's people would understand that and know that. But it's so easy to forget that, isn't it? We take creation, for example. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 20. 
He says, for the invisible things of him from the creation of time are clearly seen. Now, I want to just pause there. The invisible things are clearly seen. How can you clearly see invisible things? For invisible things of him are clearly seen by the things that are made. That's how. By the things that are made, that you may know his eternal power and Godhead. What kind of power? His eternal power. It's on display this day. Uh, the sun is shining, isn't it? The sun's been shining for 6,000 years. God hadn't had to replace it. It's there. It's just there. He spoke this world into existence. Psalms 33 verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. The ninth verse says, I have commanded, I have spoken, it was, been done, I've commanded, it has stood steadfast. We read in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, where he says, Him being the brightness of his glory, and expressed the image of his person, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And it says, He upholds all things by the word of his power. He spoke everything into existence by the power of his word. He now upholds all things by the word of his power. Power, power. This word power is going to pop up over and over and over and over again in the scriptures in many different ways. I just hope that we pay attention to it. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthian church that his speech and his preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but was in demonstration of the spirit and of power. I hope to come back to that perhaps a little bit later on. But right now, I want to continue on this a little further. He says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Where should your faith be today? Where should my faith be today? It should not be in the wisdom of men. Do not be depending upon men to get us out of this crisis. Now, God works through people oftentimes and works through men and works through people to bring about solutions to problems and deliverances. But we must not be depending upon them. We must be depending upon the Lord himself that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Four different times in the book of Jeremiah, you'll find where the prophet Jeremiah will declare to us that this world that we live in was created by the power of God. Look in Jeremiah chapter 10, and you'll find where the prophet says that the Lord made the world, made the earth by his power. He established the world by his understanding, and he stretched out the heavens by his discretion. He made, he established, and he stretched out. Three things he did. He made the earth out by his power. Just think about that for a little bit, if you will. This world in which we live in, this earth in which we stand upon, you know, is here because one day God just spoke it into existence, and he he created the greater light, the sun to rule the day, and the lesser light, the moon, to, to rule the night. And he made the stars also. There's beauty in that. There's great benefits in that. Man is benefited tremendously by the creation of God in terms of transportation, in terms of uh, communication, all kind of things, you know. He said he made it by his power, by his power. Psalms 19, 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the front that showeth his handiwork, day and day, other speech, and night and night showeth knowledge. You see his power. We look in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, 
And you'll find here where God's going to call Moses. I've just mentioned previously just a few seconds ago. He calls him out of a burning bush and gives him a message that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and that he is going to send him down to the land of Egypt. He says, I have heard the groans of my people. I've seen their afflictions. I know their sorrows and I will bring them up out of the land of Egypt and into a land that flows with milk and honey. Notice this, I'll bring them out and then I'll bring them in. He'll bring them out of the land of Egypt. He'll bring them into the land of Canaan. What a contrast between Egypt and Canaan. Egypt, symbolic of darkness and bondage, slavery. The land of Canaan, fruitful land, blessed land, a land that God's eyes were constantly upon all the time and a land that he cared for. A land he would, you know, provide Israel to have for their own identity. It's a picture of the gospel church in many different ways. So he says, I will bring them out. But I want you to notice this. He says, I will bring them out. And then he tells Moses, I'm going to send you down there for you to bring them out. Now who brought them out? Did Moses bring them out or did God bring them out? Well, God brought them out. He just used Moses as an instrument, you see. But it was God who would bring him out. But you know, Moses needed some encouragement about the power of God. So the Lord asked Moses, what's in your hand? Now Moses was a shepherd on the backside of a desert, wasn't he? Watching over sheep back there when the Lord appeared to him at the age of 80 years old. He says, what's in your hand, Moses? Moses said, a rod. He wanted, and the Lord knew what was in his hand. He wanted Moses to acknowledge in his hand was a rod. He said, you cast it down, Moses. Moses cast it down and it turned into a serpent. He said, now pick it up. <laughs> that required faith. <laughs> pick it up. So Moses picked it up and it, it turned back into a rod. He said, put your hand into your bosom, Moses. So he did. When he pulled it out, it was leprous as snow. He says, put it back in, Moses. Bring it out again. He put it in. He brought it out. It was restored just like it was in the very beginning. God displayed his power in the sight of Moses to give Moses encouragement to go down to the land of Egypt. How can one man bring a nation out of Egypt? You remember 40 years earlier, Moses left the land of Egypt not on too good of terms. He left the land of Egypt to flee for his life. And now God's telling him to go right back to the land of Egypt and bring my people out of there. But first of all, he says, I will bring them out of there. So how is one man going to go down there and accomplish it? Because God is going to be with him. In fact, he tells Moses, certainly I'll be with you. Moses needed the encouragement of God's power. Romans chapter 9, verse 17, the apostle Paul said, for the scripture saith, you'll find that expression several times in the New Testament. For the scripture saith, I've never heard the Bible talk to me audibly, <laughs> and yet the scripture talks to me just like it did back then. He says, for the scripture saith, that's just the same thing as saying God said. When you read the expression, for the scripture saith, that's the same thing as saying God said it. Because the scriptures are given by divine inspiration. God's the author of the scriptures. For the scripture saith, for this reason... Have I raised thee up, Pharaoh? Now notice, Pharaoh is raised up by God. For this cause, I have raised thee up, Pharaoh, to show my power in thee, that my name might be magnified and declared throughout all the earth. Now notice each part of that verse. 
For this cause, this reason, I raise thee up, Pharaoh. Pharaoh is a powerful man in this day and age, but he only has the power because God raised him up and allowed him to have it, you see. That I might make my power known so that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. That's the main thing in, even today. We want the name of Christ magnified and honored and glorified. We want it to be known throughout all the world. And I want the Christ of the Bible to be known. There's a Christ a lot of people preach. I can't find him in the Bible. <laughs> I cannot find him in the Bible to save my life. Uh, I don't find a weak Christ. I don't find a trying Christ. I don't find a weeping Christ. I don't, I don't find a Christ that's doing all he can that doesn't look like uh, he's getting enough cooperation support from people down here and he's just losing the battle. I don't find that Christ in the Bible. I don't find that to be a biblical Christ. I don't think you will either. I've been searching it for a long time. I've never have found a Christ like that. But I do find a Christ that's described over here in Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. The Lord God the omnipotent reigneth. I find him in the Bible. And so we find where God gives encouragement to Moses by displaying his power. Now his power is going to be made known in the life of Pharaoh. Now Pharaoh is going to ask a question to Moses. Who is the Lord? He'll know before it's all over with. Who is the Lord? So we have ten plagues, don't we? Each of those plagues was designed to destroy an idol in the land of Egypt in that day. The very last one, he will destroy the firstborn of all the Egyptians. But the firstborn of all the Israelites will be spared. I mean, miracle after miracle after miracle was a display of God's power. Then God brings them out of there. Finally, they just want Israel to get out of there. That's how he brought them out. He brought them out by bringing forth those ten plagues, displaying his mighty power, his great power. And he brought them out of there. Moses led them out of there. Come to the Red Sea. How are they going to cross the Red Sea? Pharaoh and his army is in hot pursuit. How are they going to cross the Red Sea? God says, Moses says, you tell the people to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord and take and stretch forth thy rod toward the sea. When he did, God caused a strong east wind to blow. It blew upon the sea. It became two great walls of water. If that's not a display of the power of God, I don't know what is. They crossed dry shod to the other side without the loss of one. He brought an entire nation out of there through the leadership of one man, but God was with the man, and God delivered them to the other side. In Exodus chapter 15, we have the song of Moses, which gives praise and honor to the glory to the Lord. And in that song, it says, Thy right hand and thy right arm have triumphed gloriously, and thy power has been made known. Throughout history, we could give example after example after example in the Old Testament for God displayed his great and his mighty power. Remember the text says, God has spoken once, yea, he has spoken twice, that power belongeth unto him. God displayed power over the natural elements of creation. Whenever the three Hebrew children were in the fiery furnace, the Lord manifested himself there, and the Lord was in the fiery furnace with them. The king looked in, he said, I put in three, behold, I see four. The furnace had been heated seven times hotter than normal. Those who cast them in was consumed on the outside in the very beginning. When he looks in there, he sees four. They're all walking around. <laughs> they were put in there bound. Uh, you know, from head to toe, they were bound. Uh, but when he looks in there, they're all walking around the fire. All it's done is just burn the ropes off the hands and the feet. 
And the Lord has been their shield, and that's been my prayer daily for each one of you and for myself and for the Lord's people. That the Lord would be unto us as he was to Abraham. In Genesis 15, he tells Abraham, I am thy seed, a shield, and thy great reward. Oh, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. A shield is for protection, isn't it? He said, I'm your protection, Abraham. And I believe he'll be my protection. He'll be your protection. I certainly believe in doing everything we're supposed to do. I believe in social distancing. I believe in wearing the mask. I believe in washing the hands. I believe in trying to be as careful as we possibly can. But I also believe in trusting in the Lord and having faith in the Lord and doing everything the Lord's told me to do as well. There's a balance here. I've, I've tried to follow that all my life. This isn't the first rodeo I've been in. This isn't the first uh, trial and tribulation I've faced along life's pathway. And it won't be the last. It won't be the last, no doubt. Power belongeth to the Lord. The Lord said that, that once, he said it twice. So that we might get it right in our heads right here. And then he gives example after example after example. And God overruled the normal uh, effect fire would have. He shielded those three Hebrew boys. And they are all walking around in a fiery furnace, hot as it can be. And they're just having fellowship one with another. Hadn't you rather be in a fiery furnace with the Lord than be on the outside without him? That, makes, that just solves the whole thing. Doesn't it? it just makes it all well worth it when you've got the fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ. God sent an angel to shut the mouth of the lions. Lions are pretty powerful creatures. But not when it compares to the power of God. God sends the angels to shut the mouth of the lions in Daniel's case. Oh, I just, I just love that picture and that image I get every time I read about it. When the king uh, says, Oh, Daniel, is the God whom thou servest, is he able to, to deliver thee? And, the, and Daniel said, Oh, king, live forever. And again, I've said this before, I don't know why they kept saying that. All through the Bible is where they say to the king, Oh, king, live forever. I know some people I don't want them to live forever. And I'm glad they don't. He says, The Lord this night sent his angel, they shut the mouths of the lions. Who got the better night's sleep, Daniel or the king? I know who, the Bible says the king didn't sleep a week. I believe Daniel got a good night's rest. I think he used the neck of the lion for a pillow. I can just see him putting his arm around the neck of the lion now and saying, come on, baby, let's go to sleep. I just, that's the way I see it. <laughs> if we come to the New Testament day and the Lord Jesus Christ is here in the flesh. He has a three and a half year ministry which he teaches and he preaches, but he does something else on a very regular basis. And what he does on a very regular basis is display his power. There's a man that came to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he had a son that was vexed with an unclean spirit. And the Lord cast that unclean spirit out of him. Find this in Luke chapter 9. He cast that unclean spirit out of him and healed him. And you know what the response of the people were? It says they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. They knew something out of the ordinary, extraordinary, just taking place. God's power was on display. God's power cast that unclean spirit right out of that boy that belonged to the man. I read where the Lord Jesus Christ was asleep in a ship in a storm with his disciples. And there are a lot of other little ships out there. Read this in Mark chapter 4. A lot of other little ships out there, a great storm, and the Lord is asleep. And they wake the Lord up and say, Carest not that we perish. And the Lord spoke to the sea, 
he rebuked the disciples, first of all, oh ye of little faith. And then he spoke to the sea, said, peace be still. And there was immediate peace. You know what the response of the disciples were? They were astonished at what they just saw. They were astonished at what they just witnessed. They said, what manner of man is this? What great power is this? That even the wind and the sea obeyed his voice. His voice spake and it was obeyed. The wind obeyed the voice. The sea obeyed the voice. The sea became calm. The wind quit blowing. His power was on display, wasn't it? Time and time again, we find the Lord displaying his power in front of his disciples, giving them encouragement. The Lord healed all whoever he purposed to heal. There was not one case where he come up short. There's not one example in the word of God where Jesus Christ tried to heal somebody and didn't get them healed. He didn't have a 90% success rate. He didn't have a 95% success rate. He didn't have a 99.99999 success rate. He had a 100% success rate. 100%. You know, if he had a 99.999 success rate and just found one case where he didn't have success, I'd have to doubt whether I'm saved or not. But I don't have to doubt that. <laughs> Our Lord's never done anything less than 100%. Power belongeth unto the Lord. That's where your real power comes from. It comes from him. He said it once, he said it twice. It's been on display throughout the word of God. Example after example after example. Find where the Lord made this statement in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. He said, my father doth love me because I lay down my life. He said, I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. I got power to lay it down, he says. He said, I can just lay it down anytime I want to. And then I can take it again. Do we not see that displayed in his crucifixion? When the Lord Jesus Christ is hanging upon the cross, who's in control? The Lord's still in control. Nails are in his hands. Nails are in his feet. He's been scourged. He's already gone through enough whippings, enough beatings, enough uh, afflictions that the average man would have already died, no doubt. But not Jesus. He hangs on the cross there, suspended between heaven and earth, between two thieves. We find where Pilate gives command for his soldiers to go and break the legs of the thieves to bring about a swifter and swifter death. All three men, when they get there, though, they will break the legs of the two thieves. They don't break the legs of Jesus. You know why? Because he'd already laid his life down. He'd already laid it down. The Lord will cry out with a strong voice. It is finished. He'll look to heaven and he'll say, Father, I commend my spirit into thy hands. He was in total control the entire way. He said, I got power to lay it down and I got power to take it again. He told his disciples numerous times before his crucifixion that he'd be betrayed, that he'd be taken into captivity, he'd be tried uh, by the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. He said, they will kill me, they'll crucify me, but after three days, I'll raise myself back to life again. He didn't tell them that one time. He told them that numerous times. But you know, those disciples seemingly forgot all about that. He said, I'll go before you into Galilee. After that third day, where the disciples trying to find him, trying to find him there at the grave. He said, I'll meet you in Galilee. They're late. The Lord was on time. They were late. The Lord displayed what he said in John chapter 10 when he was crucified and after the third day when he was resurrected. He said, I got power to lay down my life and I got power to take it again. The Lord demonstrated his power over death on record three different times prior to his own deliverance. 
he comes to the grave of a man by the name of Lazarus. When he comes to the grave of a man named Lazarus, he'd been dead about four days. And the Lord Jesus Christ speaks his name personally and individually. And that man comes right out of the tomb, right out of the grave. Such a beautiful picture here of how the Lord regenerates sinners, how the Lord deals with us. He speaks our name personally and individually. And I can assure you, we come forth from a state of death and sin to a state of life in Christ, just as sure as Lazarus came right out of the grave. Lazarus come forth. It's been said, if he'd have just said, come forth, every grave would have opened up. <laughs> That'd been a general call, wouldn't it? Every grave would have opened up and everybody would have come right out of there if he'd have just said, come forth. But he didn't say that. He said, Lazarus, come forth personally and individually. And Lazarus came forth right out of the grave. Christ demonstrated he had power over death. Then we find where a man had a little daughter, daughter named well, uh, Jay Irish had a 12-year-old daughter. And she was nigh to death when the Lord when he came to the Lord. And the Lord's going to go with him, but on the way, we find the woman who had the issue of blood, you know, comes in, gets into the picture, and the Lord's actually delayed. By the time he gets there, the maiden has passed away. But the Lord tells him she's not dead. Is she dead or is she not dead? She's dead, but she's not dead from the standpoint as far as the Lord is concerned. The Lord said, Behold, she sleepeth. In the eyes of God, when one of his children pass away, they're dead as far as we're concerned. They are passed away, but in the eyes of God, that person just fell asleep. Remember in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, the Lord tells David, he says, Thou shalt fall asleep with thy fathers. Thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. He's talking about his death. The Lord takes her by the hand, speaks her name, and raises her from the dead. And I guess uh, one of my favorite uh, things the Lord did is when he went there to the city of Nain and the widow woman's coming out of the city, taking her only son to the cemetery. Her only son is dead. She's a widow woman. That means she has no husband, obviously. And now her only son has died and she's going to the cemetery. It's a sad scene. But the Lord meets them as they're coming out. And the Lord stops it. And here you have... The Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father, and he's going to raise up the only son this widow woman's got. Here's a man who's dead, who's destined to live, and here's a man who's alive, who's destined to die. And this man who's alive, who's destined to die, is going to raise this man who's dead back to life again. He puts his hand on the bier, on the coffin, and speaks to him, and he raises him right out of the, gra- right, right out of the coffin. Rather, He got uh, Lazarus out of the, the sepulchre, <laughs> Out of the tomb, he got this man right out of the coffin, and he got Jairus' daughter right off the bed. He displayed his great and mighty power over afflictions and sicknesses and infirmities. He displayed his great and mighty power over death. Here's three recorded cases. And then, of course, we have his, where he said, I have power to lay my life down, and I have power to take it again. Those apostles needed that encouragement because the time was going to come when the Jesus was going to leave them and go back to heaven, but he wouldn't leave them without the Holy Comforter. So here's what the Lord said after he was resurrected. He spent 40 days upon the face of this earth right here. Here's what the Lord said to his disciples. Recording Matthew 28, verse 19. He said, all power is given unto me both in heaven and earth. All power is given unto me both in heaven and earth. Go and teach all nations 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Ghost, and lo, to, and teach them to deserve all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'll go with you all the way, even to the end of the world. I'm so happy that when I read about the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, I find that he will go with me all the way to the end of the journey. <laughs> all the way to the end of the journey. In John chapter 13, he says, He loved his own which were in the world. He loved them all the way to the end. <laughs> Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad the Lord's love is going to love you all the way to the end? Aren't you glad he's promised never to leave you nor forsake you? Aren't you glad he's promised to go with you all the way to the end of the journey? Uh, we can't, our, our journey, my friends, is too, too much for any of us without the Lord. But the Lord said, I'll go with you. I'll carry you all the way to the end. He's the friend of sinners, isn't he? You know, they said this about the Lord. He was a wine-bibber and a gluttonous man and the friend of sinners. You know, he was not guilty of being a wine-bibber. He was not guilty of being um, a gluttonous man, but he was guilty of being the friend of sinners. I'm so thankful for that. I love that song. John Newton wrote it. Poor, weak, and worthless, though I am, I have a rich, almighty friend. John Newton, you know, he wrote Amazing Grace. He had it down pat. Any Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a rich like me. John Newton knew by experience it was by grace and grace alone that he'd been saved. And then he writes all these other songs we sing, like the song I just mentioned, songs that you won't hear in the denominational world. I, I can assure you, you won't hear that song out there. Poor, weak, and worthless though I am. But I'm going to tell you what, brother, I understand that verse. I understand that song, poor, weak, and worthless. That's exactly how I am. I'm poor in myself, I'm weak in myself, I'm just worthless apart from Christ. But thank God, John Newton kept writing. He said, but I have a rich, almighty friend. Now, that's, that wasn't written by divine inspiration, like the Bible, but I tell you what, it expressed Bible truth. <laughs> You've got a rich and an almighty friend. Oftentimes, God appeared to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob like this, thus saith the Almighty God. Why, why put that in there? He wanted them to remember that he was almighty. Revelation 1 and 8, Jesus said, I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Lord God Almighty. Power belongeth unto me, thus saith the Lord. He said it once, he said it twice. He tells those apostles before they go out in that gospel commission, he tells them, I have all power in heaven and earth. That's how he starts it. And he ends with saying, I'll go with you to the end of the world. That's how he ends it over here. That had to be tremendously encouraging to those apostles. It would have been to me. I'm sure it was unto them. But you see, this is so easily forgotten. You go back and study Israel's history, as we mentioned earlier, how God raised up Pharaoh to show his power in him, and then he displayed his great power to the Egyptians and also to the Israelites with those ten plagues and brought them out of there. How long did they remember it? How long? They get out in the wilderness and they get thirsty and they start murmuring and complaining. So God just shows them an oasis. He shows them 70 palm trees and 12 wells of water. And then they get hungry, and they start murmuring and complaining. <laughs> so God, what does he do? He rains down manna from on high, and he gives them quail. He flies them in, <laughs> you know, in the afternoon, in the evening. 
Go read Psalm 78. What I just told you is all recorded right there, but something else is recorded right there. There are several knots recorded right there. N-O-T. They remembered not. They forgot. They walked not. Several knots in there, but the one in particular is they remember not. How could you forget what I just said? How could you forget all those plagues in Egypt? How could you forget seeing those two great walls of water and the Red Sea just part and they're on each side of you? And you walk through dry shot and look back and watch the Egyptian army be drowned right there in the Red Sea. How can you forget that? Because you're human. Now, I haven't ever seen anything like that. But I've seen a few things that ought to be just as convincing in my life. I've had a lot of personal experiences that I could mention here. I have mentioned in times past, I suppose. I've, I've had a few of those things happen to me along the way that ought to, when I think about it, it ought to remind me that the God that I try to worship, the God I try to serve, has all power both in heaven and also on earth. You say, well, Brother Ronald, what, a, what, about, uh, what about the devil? Well, let's talk about him just a little bit. I don't usually like to highlight him, but I'm going to highlight the devil just for just a little bit right here. You come over to the book of Luke, chapter 4, and you're going to read the account of the Lord Jesus Christ. You went on top of, a, to the, top of the mountain there of temptation, and there he's going to be up there without anything to eat or drink for 40 days. And we find where Satan appears on the scene. And the first thing Satan tells him is, Thou be the Son of God, cast these stones into bread. And Jesus quotes from the Word of God from Deuteronomy, says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word proceeds out of the mouth of God. So Satan tries another tactic, and I want you to pay close attention to this one. We find where Satan, in, in difference between Mark, uh, Matthew's account and, and Luke's account, is that uh, Matthew puts it, uh, has him uh, going to the pinnacle second and the uh, high mountain third, but Luke reverses it. He took him to the top of the mountain. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world, it says, in a moment of time. In a moment of time. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world. He says, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms, for I have the power to give it to whomsoever I will. I have the power to give these kingdoms, all the kingdoms of the world, I have the power to give it to whomsoever I will. And the Lord just quoted from Deuteronomy, he says, as is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And then he says, get thee behind me. Who's in charge here? Who's in charge right here? Herod uh, or Pilate had to learn the lesson where his power come from, and now we have the very devil himself who thought he had the power to give something that already belonged to the Lord to begin with. And the Apostle John tells us, For greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. John also tells us in 1 John 2, 1 and 2, he says, Little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. If any man sin, let him know we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now Paul tells us, or Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, we have an adversary and the devil is a roaring lion seeking new made of fire. Yeah, we have an adversary, but we have an advocate. And John says, Greater is he that's in you, that's Christ, than he that's out here in the world. 
You remember when Moses went down to the land of Egypt and he got down there, he cast that rod uh, and it became a serpent. You know what the magicians of Egypt was able to do? They were able to match it. They cast their rods down, they likewise became serpents. But then what happened? The serpent that came from the rod of Aaron devoured the serpents that came from the rod of those magicians. Showing us who had the greater power, right? Who's got the greater power? Who's the greater? He is in you, he's in the world. John says, greater is he that's in you than he's in the world. John says, we got an advocate in Jesus Christ to stand on our behalf, to, you know, uh, to represent us against our adversary here in the devil. Now, come over here to John chapter 12. In verses 18 and 19, you're going to find where the Lord Jesus Christ said, Now is the judgment of this world, now is the prince of this world cast out. I want you to pay attention to this expression, cast out. Now is the prince of this world cast out. He's talking about the devil. I read over here in the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation where there's two wonders. It opens up and saying, I saw a great wonder in heaven. I saw a woman clothed with the sun. The moon was under her feet and a crown of 12 stars upon her head. Now you don't have to figure all those stars out and everything else to know that this is a picture of goodness right here. All right? In opposition, he says, I saw another great one. I saw a, a great dragon had seven heads and ten horns, ten crowns. And this dragon made war against the woman and brought forth the man-child. And then we're told there was war in heaven. There was war in heaven. There was Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and his angels. And it says, they prevailed not and they were cast out of heaven into this earth. There's more than one kind of heaven in the Bible, just in case you're wondering. Paul talked about the third heaven. There's the first, second, first heaven, second heaven, third heaven. You don't have to worry about conflict and war being in eternal heaven where you're going to go. I can assure you that. He's cast out. Well, start with it, it says, um, yeah, he's cast out. And then in verse 10, it says, the angels, those around there, begin to sing and to praise the Lord, saying, that old dragon, the devil himself, has been cast down. He's been cast out. He's been cast down. Jesus said, now is the prince of this world cast out. Come to Revelation chapter 12, he's cast out, he's cast down. Then we come to Revelation chapter 20. And this chapter opens up with an angel coming down from heaven. It says he has a, uh, <clears throat> he had a chain in his hand and a key to the bottomless pit. Uh, somebody asked me just a day or two ago, what does that bottomless mean? Bottomless pit. Pit with no bottom. I think it just means about what I'm getting ready to say in just a minute or two. I think it represents the very fact that the sufferings of the wicked in this world have no end to it. There's no bottom to it. It has no end to it. He has the key to the bottomless pit. What is he going to do with that chain? He's going to put it around Satan. And he's going to bind him for a thousand years. Who's got the power here? Satan got the power or has the Lord got the power? This angel is representing heaven. He comes down with a chain and a key and a great chain in his hand. He bounds Satan. He binds him for a thousand years. I don't think that's a literal thousand years, but it does represent a period of time. And then after those thousand years expired, he's loose for a little season. 
and he goes out to deceive the nations again, which is what he's always done. That's always been his objective. That's what he's always, uh, his purpose is deception, deception. And the devil is out here trying to deceive you and deceive me every single day in which we live. And then you find where they surround the camp of the saints. But God sends fire right down out of heaven and consumes them. And then it says, and the devil and the false prophet and the beast are cast into the lake of fire where they're tormented day and night forever. It says they're cast into. Satan is cast down. Satan is cast out. Satan is cast into. When you follow the trail of Satan, I like where it ends over here, don't you? <laughs> I like where it ends over here. He's a roaring lion seeking to be made of fire. Yes, in this life here, he can cause us a lot of problems. But I know the end result. I know where he's going to wind up. He's being cast out. Look in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. For the children were partakers of flesh and blood. For, I mean, as far as the children were partakers of flesh and blood, he likewise took part of the same to make Christ that he might destroy him who had the works of, who destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. The devil who had the power of death has been destroyed. He's been cast out, he's been cast down, he's going to be cast in two. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, you'll find where the Lord says to those of his left hand, the goats, he's going to say, depart from me, you're cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. There's an everlasting fire that's prepared for the devil and his angels and those ghosts are all going to be in it. Over here in the book of 2 Thessalonians 1 and 7, it says that you who are troubled, rest with us. It may trouble you. It troubles me sometimes. It troubles me when it seems like the wicked get off scot-free. It troubles me when I see the wicked and the evil of this world. Seem like justice does not prevail. It seems like justice is not satisfied. Seem like uh, the righteous uh, come up on the short end, you might say. And the wicked, the evil of this world, seemingly get everything they want with no consequences of penalties. But I can assure you something's going to happen. He said, unto you that are troubled, rest with us. He said, we're resting in something right here. For the Lord himself shall appear with his holy angels with him in a flaming fire to take vengeance on them that know not God nor obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Flaming fire. What we read about over here in Matthew 25, everlasting fire. What we read over here in Revelation chapter 20, lake of fire. There's a lake of fire, everlasting fire. The Lord's coming in in flaming fire. The devil, the false prophet, and the beast, the wicked, the evil of this world will all find their final place. Justice will prevail. The judge of all the earth will do right. Because power belongeth unto him. The Lord Jesus Christ rules and reigns as Lord of lords and King of kings. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. There's nothing can ever take place in this life and this world that will dispute that truth. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. He's able to deliver. He's able to take care of you. He's able to uh, guide you and direct you and protect you from all the things we face here in this world, from whatever direction they, they come from. Without him, we're just nothing but with him, my friends. We have the promise of his presence and the safety that he provides to us. 
In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul deals with the resurrection. And he says, this body that we have right here is going to be laid down into the heart of the earth, a natural body. He said, we raised a spiritual body. It's going to be laid down, he says, a body of corruption. We raised a body of incorruption. It's going to be laid down a body of weakness. It should be raised a body of power. Of power. It should be put down a body um, of dishonor. It should be raised a body of glory. It's going to be raised a body of glory and a body of power. So I'll draw my remarks to a close here from the book of 1 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, rather. Uh, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul says, For our gospel came not to you in word only, but it came in power. It came in the Holy Ghost. It came in much assurance. Romans chapter 1 says, For I'm not, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So what in the world is he saying here? In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23 and 24, he says, For the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foods of preaching to save them that believe. That's a timely deliverance. He says, For the Jews seek after a sign, and the Greeks have to seek after wisdom. But he says, Christ is preached a stumbling block for the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks, but to those which are saved, he says, it's the power of God. Christ, we preach Christ, the power of God. What does that mean? I mean, God gives his ministers the power to preach about the power of God. He gives them the power to preach about the power of Christ, that Christ is a God of power. He displayed that power, as I already said, in many different ways in this life here. And then Paul tells Timothy, he says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but he's given us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Those three things is what God has given us. The spirit of love, the spirit of power, and the spirit of a sound mind. Now, I hope I've got a sound mind this morning. <laughs> Don't you say otherwise. I believe I've got a sound mind this morning, and I want you to have a sound mind this morning in thinking about these things. I want you to understand that God is ruling and reigning whether it looks like it or not. And if all power belongs to him, power belongeth unto the Lord. He said it once, he said it twice.